0: You are listening to the First Baptist Jinx podcast. To learn more about FBC Jinx, including our gathering times, visit us online at fbcjinx.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Rick Fry. Well, good morning. Let me welcome you to First Baptist this morning. Those of you who are joining us online today, thank you for being here. And we have a ton of folks over in Overflow this morning, so thank you for worshiping with us over there. It is a great way to start out a service, one with uh, baptism, and uh, it's lately, almost every Sunday, we're seeing that happen, and today was a little special because today we have a 101-year-old great-grandmother that got to see her granddaughter baptized today. Isn't that great? <laughs> She's saying, how did you know that I was 101? There's a glow about you this morning. Amen? You're really your son told off on if you want not know the truth. So anyway, we are excited. I love it. Man, I tell you what, what, a, what an incredible morning. Great worship this morning. If you missed last Sunday, uh, we're going to pick up where Cody left off, and Cody did an amazing job on that message. If you missed that sermon, you need to go back and get on our website and listen to it. I told him last Sunday, I said, man, son, you knocked it out of the ballpark last Sunday. And I said, this week, the old man's going to have to work twice as hard. That's one thing about having younger staff. They keep you younger. The only problem is, me trying to stay younger, I end up tearing something or breaking something. Amen? Amen. It's the way it works. This morning, maybe if you will, in the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, we're going to be looking today in verses 7 through 16. One of the things I want to remind you is this, that the backdrop really of this entire book is the mercy of God. It is how that God just continually pursues you and I. He pursues the lostness of humanity. God goes after us again and again, even though we can reject, even though we can rebel, God continues to pursue us. And what we find in this story is in the life of Jonah, how that Jonah was certainly rebelling against God, and yet God continued to pursue him. Now, one of the truths you have to realize is this, that God loves you far too much to leave you in the far country. We see that in the story of the prodigal son. You see this in Jonah. He, he, literally, God will do whatever it takes. He'll rattle the cage, he'll shake the lock, he'll do whatever he can to get your attention when you are out of the will of God. This is an amazing book. It is the only book and prophet in the Old Testament where God commissions a prophet to go literally to a Gentile nation. He sends him to Nineveh. But guess what? Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh. So he goes down to Joppa, boards a ship that literally is going 2,000 miles in the opposite direction. So here is a man that literally is running from the very presence of God. Now there are two lessons that I want you to glean from this book. It's literally woven into the tapestry of this incredible book. Number one, There are times that God's going to tell you to do something that you don't want to do. There are times God's going to ask you or call you to do something that in your heart and your mind, you're just going, God, I don't want to do that. I don't want to surrender to that. I don't want to go there. I don't want to take that job. I don't want to do this. Secondly, God cannot be ignored or denied. You can try to tell God what you're going to do, but I got news for you. God's not going to be denied and God's not going to be ignored. So what God does with his prophet, who is rebelling against the will of God, God literally hurls a storm at this ship that the sailors are in and Jonah's in. But I want you to notice the sailors are praying to their pagan gods. Jonah is now down in the hull of the ship, and he is sleeping not the sleep of peace, but he is sleeping the sleep of guilt. The sailors are praying to their pagan god, but guess what? Jonah's not even talking to his god at all. So there are two incredible truths that come out of the story. First of all, it's what I call the confrontation. You're going to see this recording verses 7 through 10. Now let me first of all say a word about rebellion. Rebellion is this angry resistance. It's not just resistance, I don't want to do. There's a sense of anger. There's this sense of just rebellion. For instance, you and I can have a child that is disobedient, but we wouldn't necessarily put them in the category of being a rebel. But what God does, God literally turns the spotlight upon Jonah's rebellious heart now remember once again that Jonah is a prophet of God he is a man that has the calling of God upon his life he is one who is to speak truth and yet this prophet of God is rebelling against his God now I don't know about you but I have a tendency when I read things like this and study things like this I want to go how does that work How is it that you can have the calling of God upon your life? God's calling you, he put his hand upon you, he commissioned you, and yet you're telling God what you're not going to do. Well, under this banner of confrontation, in verses 7 through 10, I want you to notice, first of all, in verse 7, that he is singled out. Listen to what he says. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lots fell upon Jonah. Now, when the captain of the ship had asked Jonah, back up in verse 6, why don't you pray to your God, it is not until the the lots were cast and the entire ship is now coming against Jonah that you really even get a response out of this rebellious prophet. So, once again, you have this prophet of God. He's not praying to his God whatsoever. The sailors are praying to their pagan gods. He's not saying anything about the condition of his heart and literally (laughs) that just perhaps he's the one that's causing the storm And causing all the havoc that's coming upon them. But when they cast the lots, all of a sudden, it's almost like Jonah's like a deer in the headlights. All of a sudden, Jonah is pointed out, What are you doing? It's almost like, you remember back in Psalms 169 and, and, excuse me, 139, verse 7, where he says, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? No matter where he was, even though he was down in the hull of that ship, he was still, even though he was running away from God, he was never away from the very presence of God. Now, I want you to listen to me. Sometimes, we preach, not meaning I preach, but I think that we do preach across the church today, a perverted sense of grace. And what I mean by that is that sometimes we think that we can do whatever we want to do. Oh, well, God's grace is sufficient. And if I mess up and if I'm not obedient, I can just run to God and God's going to forgive me and I'll get back in line again. And it's almost this perverted sense of grace. You remember Paul basically said, can I I continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, God forbid. But somewhere we have this idea that I, I, I don't have to do what God tells me to do. I can have this comfortable disobedience. And just maybe God's going to come along, put his hand on my shoulder, and he's going to say, you're going to be okay. But let me remind you of something. God will always, always, always put his spotlight on our disobedience and sin. So Jonah draws the short straw. He's guilty. The second thing I want you to see is though they begin to interrogate him. Look at verses 8 and 9. And they said to him, "'Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation?' Where did you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? In other words, they're getting very intense and in asking these questions. And notice what he says to them, though. Notice his response. He says, I am a Hebrew. Oh, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So they interrogate him, and in this process, they ask him these questions. Tim Keller wrote a book. If you haven't had a chance to, to buy it, you ought to get it. It's called The Prodigal Prophet. It's actually on the book of Jonah. And I want to quote something that he says. He said, The sailors are not asking these questions simply to let John express himself. But rather their urgent goal was to understand the God who has been angered so they could determine what to do. Did you notice the questions that they were asking? Did you notice they were saying, What have you done? Surely you've done something to cause the mess that we're in. Who are you? Where have you come from? Notice again his response in verse 9. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and boy, you need to underline this I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Can I tell you, everything inside of me takes issue with Jonah's statement? I fear the Lord. Really? Can I tell you that that little phrase, I fear the Lord, is insight into the hypocrisy that's in his heart and life? And let me tell you what fuels hypocrisy. It is always self righteousness. Always. I mean, think about this. Here he is on a ship going 2,000 miles in the opposite direction of where God was calling him to go. Here he is being disciplined by God. God's trying to rattle his cage, shake his lock, and get his attention. And yet, he has the audacity to say, Oh, I fear the Lord. Really? I not you to listen to me this morning. The indication in the Old as well as in the New Testament of true, genuine, authentic worship is always surrender and obedience, always. How in the world can you and I really and truly worship God when we're being disobedient? That's like saying, well, you know what? I can sleep around and, oh, I can still worship God. I can tell lies, I can still worship God. I can have unforgiveness in my heart. I can still worship God. Really? You know why we do that? Because we compartmentalize our lives so much of the time. And it's almost as though we think that I can do something over here and it's really not going to affect this aspect of my life. So I can still come to church and I can still worship. I can sing the songs. I can read my Bible. And yet we're not living up to the truth. In fact, we're being disobedient to what this book tells us to do. And yet Jonah has the audacity to say, I am a Hebrew. In other words, what he was saying, I, we, are, we are the true people of God. I fear the Lord. Really, you really and truly are telling me that you fear God? And yet you're running in the opposite direction? Notice the next thing, though. He is found guilty. Look at verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Now catch this, why? Because he had told them. Cody talked greatly about this last week. In other words, what they're saying is, what you're telling me makes no sense whatsoever. You're telling me that you fear God, and yet at the same time you're telling us that you're running from the very presence of God. Guys, we are about to die. We are about to perish. What have you done? Listen to me, this is not so much about questions, I believe, that they're asking as much as it was a statement. What have you done? What have you done? You see, this is not some little inconvenience that we're going through. Oh, we're getting tossed to and fro by the waves. No, this ship is about ready to go down and we're all going to perish. We're about to lose our lives. So he's singled out, he's interrogated, he is found guilty. Guilty. Secondly, I want you to notice, though, the confession. This is found in verses 11 through 16. And notice, in verses 11 and 12, Jonah admits his guilt. Listen to this. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you? That the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And they said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and then the sea will quieten down for you, for I know it is this because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Did you catch this? When you read this, you've got to read this in the much broader sense of the context. The broader context says, why in the world didn't Jonah drop to his knees and cry out to holy God and say, God, I am a sinner, please forgive me. Why didn't he admit the fact that I am running in the opposite direction, I am rebellious, I'm not willing to go and do what you're asking me to do, to go share mercy with the Ninevites. Why didn't he cry out and repent and turn from his sin?" Because that's not what he does. What he does, in a statement, listen, of rebellion, he says, just throw me overboard and everything will be safe. That one statement, listen, shows you the deep entrenched heart of Jonah. How Jonah was resisting the will and the purpose and the plan of God for his life. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to tell the Ninevites about this gracious, loving, forgiving God, even if it cost him his life. Now, let me show you something, though, that all of us need to realize. Number one, this confession was not the voice of repentance. Again, this confession was not the voice of repentance. He's not crying out because he wanted change. You see, this confession was simply admitting. He's admitting the fact, I am guilty. And I will even accept the consequences. So he's not repenting. He says, I'm guilty, and I accept the consequences. Jonah was willing to die once again. Again, why didn't he repent? Why didn't he just confess it and acknowledge it and say, God, this is who I am? And maybe some of you are sitting in this room or you're in the overflow, you're watching online this morning, that that's where you find yourself in that situation. You know without a question or a doubt that God has been telling you to do something, whether to surrender, to yield, to begin to serve somewhere. Tonight we're going to have an opportunity for you to step up and say, I want to serve, I want to be a part and not just come and sit and watch it all happen, but I'm willing to serve. Maybe God has been speaking to your heart, but you've been resisting and resisting and resisting and resisting, and you know that you're out of the will of God. And here's the tragedy. That resistance is not just affecting you It's also affecting others. You see, God has thrown them into a storm. And God may have thrown you into a storm. And even those that you're associated with, and yet pride has grabbed your heart. And it is that self-righteousness that has just morphed itself into this crazy, stubborn resistance. And here's the sad part. When you get there, you get to the place in your life where you don't care. I can be out of the will of God. I don't care. I'm comfortable in my disobedience. I'm not going to do what God's telling me to do. I'm not going to surrender. I'm not going to forgive. I'm not going to yield. I'm not going to quit doing what I'm doing. So my question is, are you there where you've come to the point in your life where you have so resisted God and his will and his purpose for your life, your home, your family, your marriage, your career, even as a student this morning? Are you there? Do you realize that literally by Jonah's behavior, he's asking God not to show him mercy and forgiveness? His very posture, if you will, of his resistance. That what he's saying is, God, don't show me mercy. That's okay. Just throw me overboard. And so in ignoring what God is calling him to do, he literally and and think about this. He is thrown overboard because of his literally disobedience, and yet by his disobedience, he's exhibiting the very grace and mercy that Jonah refuses to exhibit to the Ninevites. Look at verse eleven. Don't miss this. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. It's like. Man, they were trying their best to row, and they just got further and further and further away. You see, these sailors were literally trying to save his life. Think about it. Finally, they realized, you know what? We're not going anywhere. We're not getting any closer to the shore. The storm's getting greater. And finally, they surrendered to the will of God. Think about it. Here are men that are trying to row to save his life, and finally they come to the point that's they say, it ain't working, let's just throw him overboard. Let me give you a truth this morning that if you don't take anything else home, please take this home. Don't try to rescue someone that God is trying to discipline. And how many times have we fallen into that? Whether it's parents or whether it's friends or family, there are people that we love and we care deeply about and we know they've messed up and we know that probably God is trying his best to get their attention and yet we want to rescue them. And here's the sad part about it is when you're trying to rescue someone that God's trying to discipline, if you continue down that pathway, guess what's going to happen? You're both going to get it. God keeps saying, no, 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 you don't understand. I am trying to get his or her attention, and you keep rescuing them. And so they recognize and realize that all of a sudden God's anger was directed to Jonah. And if they kept protecting him, they too were going to be lost. You see, there is a point, don't miss this, where mercy can morph itself into an enablement. So what happens is you keep running to rescue the person, and all of a sudden, rather than really saving them or doing them any good, you end up enabling them to continue to do what they're doing. That's why I said to you a few moments ago, it's the story of the prodigal son. It's the story of your God loves us too much to leave us in the far country. He will do whatever it takes to bring you back home because he loves you. He died for you. He cares about you. That's amazing love to me. And these sailors get the message. And so they surrendered to the plan of God. Look at verse 14. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done it as it pleased you. Verse 15. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its rage. Think about this. They surrendered to the will and the plan of God and as soon as they did and through Jonah, I believe as soon as his little toe hit the water, the storm stopped. As soon as they put Jonah into the hands of God, the focus of God's anger, listen, shifted over and they disciplined him as God used them. He's thrown overboard. So my question is, what happens to the sailors? Well, in verses 14 to 15, you'll notice the sailors are converted. Notice that they cry out to the Lord. And before they were crying out to who? They are pagan gods. Now all of a sudden, They cry out to the Lord. And I will tell you, I really believe that God used Jonah's answers to their questions to move them toward the presence and the awesomeness of Jehovah God. The storm that was raging against them was a revelation that was taking place. And so what happens is all of a sudden, through all that was taking place, their allegiance has changed from pagan gods to the God. Think about this. When Jonah said, I am a Hebrew, I fear the Lord of the heaven who makes the sea and the dry land, that got their attention. Look at verse 14 again. And they said, O Lord, notice, not their gods, but Jehovah, O Lord, the covenant name of the God of Israel, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not upon us innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done it as it has pleased you. Look at verse 16. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and notice what they did. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. These sailors are converted, they're saved. Why? Because all of a sudden they come to understand the acknowledgement of the presence and the power and the greatness of God. Now let me tell you what I love about this is if you look at this story, they made the declaration (laughs) literally after the storm had already taken place. This is not a foxhole conversion. God, if you get us out of this storm, I promise you we're gonna serve you, we're gonna live for you. No, 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 no. It happens afterwards. Here God is sending Jonah to Nineveh to give a message of truth, literally to the capital city of a hellish Assyrian empire. Jonah does not want to be the vehicle of grace and mercy. And yet, ironically, read the story. Jonah was running away in disobedience from God because he didn't want to share God's truth with the Gentiles, and yet that is exactly what he does before they throw him into the water. Think about it. You know what that reminds me of? One way or another, family, hear me this morning. God is going to pursue you to accomplish his purpose in your life. That is amazing to me. So what do we learn from this story? Three quick truths. Number one, God will make sure that even our disobedience will accomplish his purposes. I've seen it time and time again. Don't tell God what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. Because let me tell you what God will do. God will take your no and make it his yes while you're still thinking that you're telling God no. It's amazing. He loves you that much. He's going to accomplish his will and purpose. Secondly, to acknowledge our sin, even to accept the consequences, doesn't mean that we've actually repented. You can confess all day long. But if you look at the word repent, it is the Greek word metanoia. It means a radical change of the way that you think. In other words, first of all, your mind changes. That is, you begin to look at your sin not from the perception of the world or from your perception or the way your friends may look at it. You see it from the literally the lenses of a holy and righteous God. And there is always a change. Always a change. It's a change of the heart which results in a change of behavior. And what you're going to notice is that didn't happen for Jonah. He acknowledged that he was, that yes, that he was in rebellion. He even was willing to accept the consequences to the point, just throw me overboard. But he didn't repent. Now he's going to repent next week, but he didn't repent this week, okay? He'll get there. But repentance always means a change and transformation. And last of all, all sin is tainted with self-righteousness. One of the things I learned a long time ago in ministry was that as a pastor, that when I sinned, when I disobeyed God, it didn't just affect Rick Fry. It affected my family, Diane, my kids, my grandchildren. It also affected my church family that God called me to shepherd and to pastor. It's always been a great fear. doesn't mean that I didn't make dumb, stupid choices at times. But I want you to realize that's why it is so important that we understand that we're always walking in this humble obedience to the Lord, because when you disobey God, it doesn't just affect you. It affects those that you probably love the most. So here's my challenge to each and every one of us this morning. I want you to go home this afternoon after lunch, get away with God, just Get in that prayer closet, if you will, and I want you to do something. I want you to open your Bible, turn to the book of Jonah. If you've not read it, just sit down and read it. But then I want you to do this. I want you to ask God this question. God, are there areas of my life that I'm resisting that you're calling me to do? Is there some place that you want me to serve in the life of this church that I've not been willing to serve? Maybe there's something that you're calling me to let go of that I'm not willing to let go of, God, where is it in my life that I am resisting you, that I'm being disobedient? And ask God, God, just show me. Show me that so not only can I confess it and agree with you that it's sin, but I want to repent of it. I want there to be a radical change within my life. And let me say to those of you who are here this morning or watching online that you may not know Christ as your personal Savior. The most important decision you will ever make in your life is to stop running, From a God who went to the cross and died and shed his blood for you, not so that you could become a Baptist or a Methodist or Church of Christ or Pentecost or Charismatic or anything else, because God does not know you and I under the umbrella of a denomination. But he knows you as a saint or an aint, saved or lost. And the only way that's ever going to change for you is when you come to the point of brokenness over your sin. And you acknowledge, God, I'm a sinner. I cannot earn or work my way into the kingdom of God. So I ask you today, would you come into my life and save me, forgive me my sins, and forever change my heart and life? And I'll make you a promise today, according to the promise of this book, God will change your life. And he will fill you with purpose and meaning. And he will set you on a course and a journey that can be and should be One of the most exciting journeys of your life. But he won't force himself into you. He's waiting on you to not run from him, but to run to him. And when you do, he will open his arms wide. And he'll receive you and love you and empower you to be all that God wants you to be. What did we learn from a man that was running from God? Put the brakes on, turn around, and run to him. Let's stand this morning. Father, I come to you this morning, and I thank you for, again, an incredible truth and promise in this book. I thank you that you pursue us, that you love us, that you come running after us. I thank you, Father, that as a child of God, that when we are rebelling and we're disobedient, that you will do whatever it takes. You will even create a great fish as we're going to see next week to be a vehicle to bring us to a point of brokenness. A place that we will run to you and say, oh God, forgive me. I am so sorry. But I thank you, Father, that you give your word today and because of this story, maybe someone's sitting here and God, they're ready to say, God, I don't want you to have to create something or bring a great storm in my life to wake me up. I have been awakened by the truth of your word of God this morning. And so I want to give my life to Christ. I want to come and repent. I want to get right with you. I want to be all that you want me to be. So Father, in the name of Jesus today, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. In a moment as we give an invitation, as pastors will be standing here, I pray that Father, that individual, that single, that student, that mom, that dad, that family, whatever you're calling them to do to make this church a part of their life, to come surrender, to be following a believers' baptism, whatever it is that today, by faith, in obedience, that they'll step out and run to you. And find a God with open arms that says, I love you.